getting there is such a like responsibility in terms of raising money and and in doing it Huge. right is yeah, is 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 that that component of it like you know also thinking okay i can raise money i know the people but then it's understanding also like what is the system that goes behind communicating with people what is the system that goes behind setting expectation what does that look like What's up, everybody? My name is Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. STR Nation, before we get into this week's episode, I've got some I am so excited to share with you guys. For the last couple of years, we've been recruiting and training virtual assistants for our private mastermind students, and we have now a officially open that up to the public. So if you are looking to hire a virtual assistant for your short-term rental business, then go to strsecrets.com slash VA and we will recruit, onboard, and train a VA for you. And if they don't save you at least 40 hours a month in admin work, then you don't pay. So I put a crazy guarantee on this because I've been testing this out for the last two years with our mastermind members. And I'm so confident that it works that if it doesn't, randomly work for you, I'm literally going to give your money back. So if you want more info on that offer, head over to strsecrets.com slash VA. And now let's get to this week's episode. What's going on, STR Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shogren. Here as always with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, E? My brother, so good to see you. How's life? It's good. Uh, so I was, I was <laughs> downstairs before this and... Uh, we got some unfortunate news. We got we got to put the family dog down tomorrow, so it's it's been a a rough afternoon. So, mm. you know, again, just circle of life type of thing, and uh, just navigating all that stuff. So it's been interesting. Yeah. Everything on the property side is going great. You know, hotels yep. moving along, houses coming along, awesome. and then just little wrinkles like this come in and just makes you reflect mm -hmm. on that. enjoying all the small moments too. Yeah, for sure. You know what's very funny, which is completely unrelated to what you just said, but I been so I'm I'm still in Italy and it's funny to me because as at and we've been traveling just on on Airbnbs, right? And as hospitality people, I always really feel super strongly about people experiencing hospitality. And experiencing also the different level of hospitality. And when it comes to Airbnbs, experiencing hospitality in different countries really reminds you or really shows you like what different countries value in terms of hospitality. So in terms of like, even like the most simple basic things, right? Like how the places are furnished, what's the stuff that is inside, the supplies that they give you and like how spoiled, in a sense, I feel our guests are in the States in terms of like everything that we give, like we're in this house now and there was no, no coffee, like there's one roll of toilet paper in his bathroom. There is no soaps, no nothing. Right. But then the lady came the morning after and brought us a, a cake that she baked. Mm. And I'm like, I so appreciate that, but I don't have any coffee of <laughs> this cake, right? So I'm like, why didn't you give me coffee instead of the cake, right? But at the same time, it's just also this like level of like personal touch that is completely different here, right? And like every property the host is going to meet us or somebody from the host team will meet us to let us in. There is no 
no smart locks. Everything has regular locks. And like, I'm like, because the Wi-Fi is spotty and so on and so forth, right? Yesterday, I love, I love food. I love eating. We've shared this in, a, in another show. But we went, we went to a Michelin star restaurant yesterday. And in terms of like hospitality and understanding hospitality, the level that you have to be to be given any kind of star is unreal. And the team at this restaurant was a small restaurant, six tables, and the level of attention and care that this team had. Anytime the water, like literally the moment my glass of water was empty and I put it down, somebody would be there to refill it. You got up to go to the bathroom and you put your napkin on the table and they came back and refolded it perfectly and left it completely in the center. And there are those little things that is like, it's completely different. Yeah, it's part of the experience, right? And so like in terms of like thinking for us as Airbnb people, and I think a lot of times people get into this industry as real estate investors more than hospitality people. And our good friend Mark Simpson talks about this all the time. The moment somebody puts their head on your bed, you're in the hospitality business. And understanding the difference in terms of like mindset of how to be in hospitality and how to like create and craft an experience that remains impactful and meaningful because like that that restaurant yesterday i'll it's i'll never like i'll always think about it right in terms of like the overall experience and so it's just like how do we bring that in our properties when we're not physically there right like i'm not gonna go like actually tuck in the guest at night, right? <laughs> Come and like put you to bed and tuck you in and make sure that like everything is good, right? But like, how do you show that level of care to your guests in terms of like how you, how you design your home, how you, the things you put inside of it, your messages, that's the welcome baskets that you live, right? Like how can we give more hospitality mm. and make it more of a memorable experience, especially as we are trying to grow hospitality brands, right? Because I think that's where more and more of our industry is going to. Sooner or later, the smaller people are going to become less and less, and it's going to be more larger companies like ours, like yours, that do hospitality. So it's just like, how do we learn from the hotels? How do we learn from, from the Michelin restaurants? How do we learn from like those people that have been doing hospitality and really understand all angles of it in in vacation rentals. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm excited for today's guest because we're going to talk about creating unique experiences in hospitality. And um, yeah, let's just get into it, man. I'm excited. Let's I've do it. seen this guy stuff yeah. for a while and uh, I'm glad that we're finally able to connect with him. So today on the show, we've got Alex Jarbo with us. Um, he's got an extensive experience in short-term rentals with 16 successful properties um, he's got some massive projects going on that we're going to talk about today, but he's got a really diverse background. Marine Corps uh, service. Thank you for that. Got a bunch of money in the uh, bunch of money, bunch of buddies in the Marines and um, total side note. But I just watched like what an insane impact that has had on those people from being like high school screw up buddies to like totally different humans coming out of that uh, in a good way. Uh, he's got an MBA in real estate and he is pursuing a doctorate in business. And uh, he's pretty influential in the industry. If you don't know who he is, he's the founder of Open Atlas. He's coached over 5,000 students, and he is a primary writer on short-term rentals for Bigger Pockets. If you don't know who Bigger Pockets is, I don't know where you've been. But uh, without further ado, Alex, welcome to the show, man. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So 
I always love to start, you know, how did you get into real estate? And then how did that dovetail into short-term rentals? And then we'll talk about all the amazing stuff you got going on now. Yeah, absolutely, man. So like you said, like I was in the Marine Corps for five years. My last year in the Marine Corps, I was mainly stationed in Washington, D.C., a part of the honor guard there and a really, really cool uh, duty assignment. But last year, I decided that I didn't want to reenlist. Um, so I just started picking up a lot of different books. It wasn't just real estate books. It was business books. It was stock market books, just general leadership books that we would read in the military. Um, but the bigger pot, it's funny because that I write for bigger pockets now because I started with the bigger pockets books and I had originally landed on a flipping mentorship outside of bigger pockets. And the, the gentleman that was, a, this is back in 2015. Yeah. 15. The, we were on a group coaching call when you had to pick up a phone and do group coaching. And, uh, he had met that gentleman that was running that, uh, mentorship was like all my long-term wealth is tied into short-term rentals. Like everything I do outside of flipping for real estate, I throw it into vacation rentals. And so that sort of like really perked my ears a little bit. Um, and I got, I got on a one-on-one -on -one call with him. It's like, hey, I'm really open to moving anywhere after the military. I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, but I wasn't really open to going back to where I grew up. Um, and I was like, hey, I'm like, I'm still young. Like, I'm, I'm just I'm open to going anywhere. And he, there was like three, four markets that he helped me sort of decide on. And I decided on Asheville, North Carolina. So the day I got out of the military, I moved directly here, <laughs> uh, got my broker's license, uh, did, was the real estate agent for about a year and a half, two years. And then during that time, I was just looking for a short-term rental for myself. And uh, every what I realized really quickly at that time, everything was really way out of my price range or it was in my price range, but it, it didn't feel like it would, before any type of underwriting for like structures for properties or anything existed, like it just, it didn't feel like it would have done well as a short-term rental for anything that was in my price range. So I had gotten three to five rental arbitrage deals like under my belt in those two years while I was looking for a property for myself. But when I realized I couldn't afford anything in my price range, I decided to the very first real estate project that like the, my first real estate investment outside of the rental arbitrage deals where my name was on, like, say, the mortgage um, was a, a ground up development from from land to to. And it was an 800 square foot A-frame that we own to this day. Uh, one turned into two really quickly two turned into four brought on some investor capital from some Marine Corps friends that were seeing what I was doing here. And then uh, started teaming up with some funds uh, this year. And then this we're also raising, um, we're doing a big raise uh, for our biggest project. But just from 2016 to now, um, we're either developing, managing, or purchasing over about $35 million worth of real estate just in this market alone. Yeah, no big deal. Mm. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. He just, he just kind of slide that in there. When yeah, you yeah, when yeah. you start with your with your development, was it more on like did you start as a developer or was it more like the hustling like with the hammer at hand? No, it was, it, yeah, no. Yourself? It, I would say it's a little combination of both. It was one of those things where it's like uh, you don't know what you don't know. I'm like, screw it, we're just gonna build the first one, and then didn't realize like all the challenges that came with development. I'm like, oh, this is why people purchase over developing. <laughs> I mean, there, there was nothing out there at that time in terms of you were just relying on a GC and a couple pictures and an architect. So. Yeah. So before we before we move on, because I think this will be helpful for some newer folks, especially where the market is too. I, you know, talk to some people that are doing some pretty large development deals first go around with different partners and stuff. What were some of the biggest lessons or maybe pivots you had to make, you know, when you started getting in the development game? The 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 most beneficial thing about developing is you have complete control over your floor plan. We have properties that like we purchased that are 3,500 square foot luxury cabins, but like, let's say like the one I'm quoting off the top of my head is like a five bedroom cabin. 
I, I can comfortably say that every single one of those bedrooms in that cabin can be half the size and the rental rate would be exactly the same. So like having complete control over the property, both from a structural standpoint of making it look cool, um, but also from that, that piece of being able to optimize the floor plan. Now, a learning curve is when you're when you're first starting out with those smaller projects is that you're not going to get the attention of like a larger builder in your area, like a GC, unless if you're GC in the project yourself. Jeff talked to a lot of people who've doing, been doing that recently. But the biggest learning experience I learned from that very first one to what we're doing now is that, and it's probably what you learned about like with the boutique hotel model is if you go from one building one property or managing one property to 20 or 30 properties, it's not 20 or 30 times harder. And that that's that's the biggest learning uh, that's the biggest thing I've learned in the last six years of doing this is that developing, say, a 20 unit community or like we want to do like a 40 unit resort next year. It's not 40 times harder to do that. The The team is not also 40 times bigger. Um, so that's been the biggest that, that was the biggest learning curve in the last like six years, especially in the last two years was was that mindset switch switch. Mm. So when you talk about about we like what does a team for somebody that does what you do look like yeah i'm i'm conditioned to say we us from from the marine corps yeah. um so i'm <laughs> i mean my wife and i are mainly the ones who are coming up with the ideas for these things um i mean pinterest boards and instagram i feel like that's just all that it's exactly also what you were talking about man i mean we travel internationally a lot uh not as much after covid but every single place that we went to man we would get some sort of ideas from but in terms of the team it's uh, a couple, I have three GCs here, depending if it's a renovation project, if it's a smaller development project, or if it's a very large development. So the that's the, I rely heavily on the GC team. And then I'm also the manager of these projects. And we can talk about how I rely on some other managers to get me on other channels here in a second. But it, it's uh, the management team, third party cleaning company that's local that has over 100 listings here that they turn on a daily basis. Um, I have a couple virtual assistants that that take care of everything. And then I'm in the process of like just having a boots on the ground, like COO, just so I can focus on some of the larger stuff. But yeah, it's the management team. I have a two or three maintenance people, two maintenance people for sure. And then a third one to, to fill in any gaps um, that I inherited from some properties we had purchased. And yeah, it's it's a pretty small team. I have an executive executive assistant, two virtual assistants, two, two to three maintenance people, cleaning crew. And on the development side, it's just an architect, a GC, a good real estate agent. Um, I'm still licensed here, but I realized like, Land real estate is a completely different ball game. So having like a good uh, land real estate agent, it's really important. So uh, mm -hmm. for for people who work for me directly, it's a it's a very small team. But if you look at it from a development standpoint, it's probably over a hundred people. But there's probably only four or five points of contact between those hundred people. Yeah, and I'm assuming are they all 1099 or do you got any W two? No, I have no W two uh, right now. Yeah, they're all 1099. A lot of mm -hmm. like my executive assistant is virtual as well. But yeah, now with that being said, the COO is going to be W2. Like that's going to be in-house when we're, yeah. we're just interviewing right now like crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I love that. And so are all of the properties, you know, we were talking offline, but these aren't like your stereotypical just like box houses, right? So you did the A-frame. Then what did the next yeah. ones look like? And now I'm, I'm really excited to talk about the new project, but let's yeah, yeah. build yeah, we, let's, I love using that first one as a case study because it's it's obviously where I started. So the, these numbers were prior to COVID with development costs. So I tack on like 30 to 40%, but it's still, it's still a phenomenal deal. So we developed it with the land for about 190,000, 195,000. We got a second home loan. At the time, no 
vacation rental, short-term rental loans, at least from what I could find existed. Um, so I got a second home loan. It was at that time, 10% down. And after we furnished it, I probably put another 15 to 20 grand into it. I'd done my numbers. It was about 40 grand with holding costs that I had put into that deal while we were developing it. And um, 40 grand that first year after debt service, it threw off 42,000 in cash flow, which was nuts compared to like my rental arbitrage units, which were making maybe 500 to 1,000, which is still normal. But the, I mean, that during our high season was throwing off like six grand in cash flow off of the small little cabin uh, or small little A-frame. And that deal actually came with, it was two parcels. And the, I learned this is a completely different strategy in the commercial land real estate world. But at the time, again, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, it came with, it's two, it was two two acre parcels and they were subdivided and the bank would only lend on one side. So we were, our goal was to get that land to appraise for the purchase price, which we did. And we were able to write a contract for a dollar for that other parcel. Um, so that quickly evolved into use. Once that first one was built, I then turned around, went to another bank. It was a credit union and then used that land as collateral to build two more A-frames. After those two, uh, we, we built two modular log cabins, which are very, that was, that was a, a very interesting experience because that was like, build foundation, grade the land, and then drop these like beautiful modular cabins in place. They don't, they don't look modular by any means. And then uh, we also acquired a couple properties during COVID. It just, it was, we, we had paused two of my projects on the development side because of how crazy things got. So we just started, I acquired two other properties with uh, friends that had the, have the potential to develop more properties on them because I just didn't want to stop. In terms of like if a good deal came across my table with how low the interest rates were, it didn't make any sense not to jump on a good deal. And then we then, which was uh, February of this year, we purchased a historic house built in 80, 1885. It's a 5,500 square foot, uh, uh, just the main house. And then it's on 12 acres. It was, a, it was originally a wine vineyard and then it came with six other cabins on it. Um, so we're, we're just about stabilized on that. And then around that time when that one closed is when this what this the the deal before we started recording fell in my lap. That sounds mm. amazing. So are you running yeah. like a boutique hotel or how how does that work on the that big one? That so we just the had? main house was originally a bed and breakfast, but we're that that's been the hard part. I didn't ex with us having that we have a thirty five hundred square foot log cabin that I talked about. That one technically that one sleeps sixteen people. This larger house sleeps only like fourteen people. I thought it was going to be the same marketing strategy, but we've just we're just about to crack the code on the marketing piece on how to just market it's like that main house is like a business in itself even though we just rent it out as a normal short-term rental um but yeah we it's practically a boutique resort except they're scattered they're just not together so that was a really eye-opener for me because that opened us up to channels that like expedia.com and and all the larger channels that say like onesie and twosie properties you can't get on yeah. We've been crushing it with Expedia just for context, like the last year. Because I, I was like, eh, it's Expedia, whatever. And then we got on there. Like, oh, it has 20 grand under it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, this makes sense. So. Yeah. So that, like, it again, economies of scale. We have like one maintenance person that's just there that came with the property. And uh, that it's, it's just a beautiful property. We also learned a completely different, and this goes into the conversation you guys were having before I hopped on, which was hospitality. Like, that also that property is also a wedding venue we spent like 70 grand and we built like a wedding like a ceremony side for a wedding pavilion and we've been crushing it with leads like we're we're, we're booking four next year right now but it, we, we've been crushing it with leads uh that, that have been coming in from that property but we 
we learned that business plan. Like I didn't know anything about running a wedding venue. Um, so we, we learned that in the last six months too. I know like for us, ironically, when we do the weddings, they have to take the whole hotel. Like I won't mix and match because of noise and whatever, but apparently they were marching down the street playing bagpipes at three in the morning for this wedding. And like the neighbors were calling. I was like, well, that's a first I've never dealt with somebody playing bagpipes down the street at three in the morning. Um, yeah. But we, that's interesting. That is interesting because we don't technically have like a venue for them to get married, but they like to like stay there after. Yeah. Right? The the nice thing is that that main house can, like I said, is massive. Like people, again, we, we, we like them to at least book the main house, but what we say, or we require them to book the main house. But what, what, what my people have been saying to them is like, Hey, you're going to have, str- we, we're, we also booked this as a vacation rental. Like you're gonna have strangers at your wedding because of how scattered it is. So it's like if if you don't want them crashing it, which more than likely they are, at least cars are gonna be driving through. Like we recommend booking the entire thing. So we do elopement packages there too, where it's just a, a day thing where people can take pictures or just get married and whatnot. But yeah, it's a like I'll plug them because they've, in my opinion, they're one of the best teams I've even worked with on the vac- vacation rental side, hospitality side, whatever you want to call it. Jarek from Hitched Marketing. These guys like are dialed in with and for relatively cheap um these guys are dialed in with with how to generate leads for uh only for weddings i went to them for events like hey can we start marketing for corporate retreats and they're like no we just do weddings and they have their own crm and everything that the team plugs into sweet thank you absolutely that's great man str nation want to know how i gained eight hundred and seventeen thousand dollars in equity in 19 months using none of my own money Well, if you haven't already heard me talk about boutique hotels, I just recorded an 18-minute case study for my private mastermind group on how I bought a tiny 13-unit hotel in Rockport and more than doubled its value from 2.25 to 5.5 million in 19 months. But instead of keeping this one a secret, I decided to share it with you guys completely free. Just go to www.strsecrets.com slash hotels to access the case study and promise in just 18 minutes, you'll know why boutique hotels are my favorite STR strategy in 2023. I break down everything from the renovations, the location, the investment, the equity, the financing, and how to take advantage of forced appreciation. So when you have 20 minutes, go to www.strsecrets.com hotels. And now let's get into this week's episode. Um, so let's talk about this new one, man, this treehouse project. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to hear about this. Yeah. So I, uh, this the wedding venue the historic house we were just talking about it it was a it was a pretty aggressive not aggressive it was a it was a difficult closing like it, it was a um i'll never plan a deal like that before like we were negotiating stuff like chris like christmas eve and stuff and like asking for extensions and stuff so it's a very stressful deal that one uh and it was just the timing of it it wasn't necessarily the deal itself it was also in the middle of like interest rates like doubling every day and so like just trying to find financing on it was very difficult during the holiday season. So my wife and I had agreed like, hey, we're, gonna, we're just going to slow down for six months and just stabilize everything that we have. So we made that decision. We have a, I have a phenomenal real estate agent here that's a good friend of both me and my wife and uh, went to her and I was, uh, her name's Alexandra. And I was like, hey, uh, Cecilia and I have decided like we, we're going to like just take a break for the next six months. But I was like, if if it's ever this community, though. Uh, if that ever hits the market, like I really want to be the first to know because I'll, I'll jump on that immediately. And unfortunately, like two days later, she brings it to me and she's like it, completely off market. They're like, hey, this, the sellers have never considered selling and they're in the middle of a development, like expanding it. 
uh, but they're willing to talk to you. And I was like, so then I had to go back to the wife. Uh, I was like, hey, like, I know we just agreed on this. Uh, I was like, she never comes with me to listening appointments. I was like, just come up with me on this one. And uh, she just absolutely fell in love with it. I was like, that's the hardest part of the negotiation right there. It wasn't even this side. So then my agent sort of, I'm, I'm really personal when it comes to stuff like this. Like um, the, the previous deal uh, that we were just talking about, like I, I was talking to the owners directly every single day. Um, so I asked my agent to just step aside, handle the contract stuff, handle the attorney stuff, and I'll, I'll handle the negotiations with the sellers. So, I mean, for about, I would say four or five months, I, and the sellers are phenomenal people, um, never had an issue with them. Um, but very, very hospitable. And they, they live right next to the property as well. Like they, they, they developed that entire subdivision that the property lives in. And, um, so I was going up to their house, like for four months straight, just on the weekends, just negotiating the deal. And it's a, it's a, originally it was a treehouse community, but now it's called earth and sky dwellings because they have a lot of unique properties too. So they have like, I'm sure, I'm sure people listening have seen this property because it's been featured all their, most of their properties have been featured on Airbnb's like Instagram account. Um, but there's the Hobbit hole that's that's there. There's a couple. I don't want to say the movie names because I can get in trouble and they've gotten in trouble. Um, but they're, they're some of the properties are themed as well. Um, and they absolutely killed it. And these properties are no more than four to six hundred square feet. Uh, but it, they're right now there's seven there. There's always been seven in the last couple of years. They're building out 13 more that are all themed in their own way. There's no copy and paste floor plan for any of the floor plans or any of the units. Um, and it's ironically also a wedding venue so like i would consider what we have more of like mid-tier but this is like very very top tier um on top of the side of the mountain beautiful mountain views um comparable to the biltmore estate and the grove park Inn, which are the two big boys here uh, in this market and uh yeah it's just been exciting um we can talk about like the actual deal itself in terms of the owner financing piece we have lined up and all the social media stuff that we did for it too dude that's yeah. I can't wait to see this. Sorry, I, I just, I'm like, just, blah. I've been working. Literally, this has been my full time job just on this deal the last like seven months. So, so real quick, I do want to touch on that real quick because um, I post a lot of content about the hotels, you know, over the last couple of years. And a lot of people, they get excited about it and they want to get involved in it. And I, I always like to preface it with like, I would cut your teeth on like STRs before you do this. And there's, there's huge pros to doing this. Like we talked about the economies of scale, massive from a valuation standpoint and the control over forcing appreciation hundred percent as well. Insane. The, the couple drawbacks are the length of time it takes to do these deals is astronomically longer than a single family house. So like the runway, you just need to understand, like, you're not going to close this thing and get a hotel up and running and. 30 or 60 days like no it's like a one to two year thing if there's no development involved yeah yeah, yeah. it's exactly. a two year it's a two year thing to stabilize it from from negotiations to like first conversations yeah absolutely yeah yeah so just bear that in mind it's a hundred percent worth it in my opinion right and clearly for you too because you've been doing it and you're keep going bigger and bigger and bigger with it i just wanted to get that out there for the listeners just know that going into it and it's fine you just want to like yeah. have it's a little different mindset of like it's not i'm going to grow a portfolio quick and generate a lot of cash flow quick it takes just takes longer to do it yeah yeah absolutely and i mean also with that being said like when you when you do cut your teeth for vacation rentals there there are some higher level systems that aren't like really discussed on the short-term rental side that like apply to the 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 hotel side or the resort side but yeah i mean it's 
the the whole idea for that man i mean we we wanted to develop something that big anyways it was just that sort of just fell in our lap um and i it just felt one of the top hospitality investment opportunities just happened to be in my backyard um but this property has has got like 40 50 million views across tiktok youtube instagram everything um it's gone viral multiple times but with that being said like the whole idea for this came from tulum beach mexico when my wife and i were there and we we've been to the Maldives before, but those are massive two four hundred unit resorts. Even the ones like the cabanas over the water, Tulum's a little different. You're looking at like fifteen to thirty units, and I really love that model. I call the micro resorts, like I said, uh, but I I fell in love with that model. I was like, I need I it already exists here. I didn't I didn't invent it here, but I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to develop these like very. We were very close with the staff there, and it's like I want to and like develop these like very personal luxury type of micro resorts and we're using this one i see it in the investor video that we shot like we're using this one as a stepping stone for all the other projects that we want to do in the next three years yeah. that's all that's amazing so let's let's define what a resort is too right so we've got seven essentially tree houses now you're going to build 13 more they're already dry like they'll be done they'll be done by may of this year some half of them will be done by november of this year okay yeah. sweet and we we're talking offline, so let's let's bring it back to that. How did you structure this deal? Because it's very interesting. I've never seen, I haven't heard of anybody doing this yet with the previous owner and the development side. Yeah, we talked about. It. So we were able to secure owner financing on the deal, and I'm comfortable with saying that because it's it's all over all of our marketing for this deal for our investors. The that convert. So it's a it's a twenty million dollar deal, and then the the owners had offered to owner finance sixty uh, percent of it. So we have to bring eight million plus. Probably another like one, not probably, it's another 1.2. So the entire raise on our end was 9.2. Where the owner financing piece came from, they were actually, we, were, we met up at my historic house um, and we, we started negotiating that piece. I had done a pretty extensive analysis uh, of what I was going to offer at today's interest rates because um, I had spoken to a couple of banks that had shown some interest, but I was like, hey, can you just quote me a back of the napkin interest rate, plug that into my, uh, my models. And I was like, hey, I can do like 16.3, 16.4 million. Um, so I wasn't like lowballing them by any means, but it was just like based off of everything I learned from vacation rentals uh, and also underwriting that that larger deal that we closed on this year. And I, so they, for some reason, were really stuck on that 20 million number. And I thought that number was not, I didn't think that number was being made up, but I, there was like no basis around it. It was just like 20 million. It just sounds cool. And Come to find out, we, we have a commercial appraisal done on this property done by CBRE, uh, which is like the largest financial services, real estate financial services firm in the country. Um, and it appraised, it, it appraised slightly over that 20 million, but uh, at today's interest rates. But when I pitched that to them, uh, I gave them my number before even I had I had written a letter of intent, but I, I pitched it verbally in person to them. And they're like, we're really stuck on this 20 million number. Um, and my agent was actually next to me at the dining table. And she had, he had said, if it was, I kept mentioning, if, it, if this was last year, I could make the 20 million number work, like with the interest rate. Um, and my agent was like, well, would you give him last year's interest rate right now? And that's where the whole conversation started about owner financing. Um, so we were able to get a pretty lucrative owner financing deal. I mean, it's, it's 3%. I've never heard of this before. I mean, even, even during COVID, the interest rates for commercial stuff like this wasn't this low. Um, 3% owner financing uh, amortized over 30 years for five years. Now, granted, we are bringing a massive down payment to the table. That loan is also, uh, 
it's principal and interest. So I wanted to pay down that loan when it came time to refinance our investors and the, the sellers out of the deal. So th there's a lot of cushion there. Um, the cap rate, like you said, the, the for, forced appreciation on properties like this is, is massive. Where, where cap rates are on this property compared to where they're going to be five years from now, just the built-in equity is, I mean, is ridiculous. And what we're giving to our investors is the entire tax benefit, which is a perfect time to do that from October to the end of the year right now. So, yeah. Damn, dude. I love that. I love that. So let's talk about fundraising a little bit, change gears, and then then we can wrap it up because I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're getting a little long, but I'll talk uh, for two hours if you need me to, man. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. I want, I want to keep it tight. Maybe we'll do a part two to this. But um, let's talk a little bit about fundraising. And we don't. I don't want to get into the weeds because I'm not an attorney. I don't think you're an attorney. But from a, from a fundraising standpoint, it, did you do a fund or is it a syndication or like? Yeah, it's a single. It's a single asset raise. For, uh, okay. It's not a fund. Yeah, it's a single asset raise. Five hundred six C or D. Okay. So accredited only. Accredited only. Yep. And for the listeners, we talked a little bit about this, but accredited basically it comes down to like an income or a net worth equation. So like you can yep. only take money from folks. I believe it's is it do they up it? Is it two fifty single, three hundred family? Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to. I have a I have a partner that's raising all the the side on that side too. But like we we tag team the investors. They also self accredit, so they they do it through through our portal. But yeah, it's it's in that two fifty three hundred range. Yeah. Uh, for or they have to have a net worth income. of a million dollars, not including dollars. primary yeah. residents, right? So yeah. you're targeting a certain uh, affluent demographic to raise money from for these deals. And if let's just talk high level for a second. What have you found is the best approach for raising private money? So network is huge. So, I, but again, it's I, I hate saying that to people who I'm teaching this to because it's like. I've, I've always been a fan of like, dig your well before you need it. Like we're, we're tapping mm -hmm. into networks that we've had for, I mean, I met a lot of really cool people in Washington, DC when I, when I was stationed there. So that, that's a 10 year network there. Um, but outside of that, uh, we brought on a company that's also a veteran led company that specializes in raising uh, money for, they understand all the legality pieces on how to advertise uh, these types of properties. And we're, we've been we've been going back and forth between Facebook and LinkedIn, but our best leads have come from LinkedIn very, very targeted ads. The beautiful thing about this marketing, this property on social media, I mean, LinkedIn is social media, is that it's very easy to show a picture or show, we, we shot some beautiful videos of this property. So it's different than, and I'm not going to knock one of my mentors, Paul Moore, but like Paul sells like self-storage. And it's like, if you, if you have a self-storage ad picture compared to one of these properties, I mean, people are, the engage, the cost per lead is ridiculous on these properties and they're good leads. They're not like people who are put, wanting to put in, not, not, not our minimum investments, a hundred thousand with how big the raise is. And like, just instead of people like saying they want to put in 10,000, it's a lot of like 200, 200, 500 plus thousand. Um, so top of the funnel, it's, it's, we, we are marketing, uh, through a company I mean, we spent six figures through this company just in the last three months, um, but they're generating anywhere between eight to 10 leads for us. We then call them. Um, we have someone that that sets the appointment for either me and my partner. And then we, we just take it from there. We do a quick walkthrough, get them self-accredited through our portal. First thing, I, one of the big things I've ever, like one of the only things I've ever seen for what we did here was shout out to Mark Simpson from Boosley, but we built, Mark's built two websites for me for two of my other properties. We built an entire investor website just dedicated for this property alone 
So outside of the investor portal, like there's a website dedicated just to this property alone. And that's sort of the big wheel podcast like this is huge, too. I just love doing these because it's it's a networking thing for me. But it's also just I, I just love talking about like the stuff that I'm working on, especially like bigger pockets podcast. But it's, it's one big wheel. Bigger pockets helps the podcast help Mar the marketing direct has been huge. And then just tapping into the network, essentially just writing down everyone you've ever talked to <laughs> and just started just opening the conversation with them. Hey, I'm working on this deal and blah, blah, blah. I did an Instagram um, live last night and somebody said, uh, I was talking about this, exactly what you said. I was like, if you're going to go down that route, start building your database now, like go well. like build your contacts now. And uh, a woman responsible was, well, where do I get my contacts? And I was like, you look at your phone and see who's in your phone. Like, start I, like yeah, I moved here to Asheville without knowing nobody, like yeah. zero. Like start start going start going to these meetups. It's a very stereotypical, not stereotypical. That's a very generic thing to say, but start going to local meetups if if you're if you don't if you feel like you don't have a network, but more than likely you can. There's a really cool tool out there called a memory jogger. You can just Google it and just get it. And it's like anybody that you could have ever talked to in your life. And it's like your dentist, your doctor, your blah blah blah, your cousin. And you just write the name of every single one of those people. And it's like it's like 500 different categories in that memory jogger. You, you're, you have a network. You just haven't thought about it yet. Yeah. Uh, super curious to know. So does the company that's helping you raise, does the, do they also do the investor relationships afterwards? Or do you guys have somebody no, specifically that's on your... Yeah, my, my partner okay. has raised capital for uh, short terminals before. It's So the the marketing company only provides the leads. Very like They set up the lead. They set up the marketing. Um, and then from the lead standpoint, it's all us, like it's all of our automations. Uh, and it's, it's all of our, like, I'm, uh, between me and my partner, these are pretty like significant investments. We're asking for a minimum of a hundred grand. Like my face, like I'm not calling these people. These are zoom calls. Like I'm putting a face to the name. I'm putting a face mm -hmm. to the voice. Um, so that that's very important, but yeah, in terms of, uh, investor relations, that's all going to be in house. Um, especially yeah. with a deal that's big, say like, there are people that are putting in more than a hundred grand, but say if everyone put in the minimum, I mean, that's 92 investors. Um, that, that's a, that's a lot. Um, we no, originally, no, and, and, and that was my, yeah. why the, my, my question was, is most of the fact that like people don't understand, or like, I think there is such a like responsibility in terms of raising money and in doing it Huge. right is, yeah, is, is, is that, that component of it. Like, you know, so thinking, okay, I can raise money. I know the people. But then it's understanding also, like, what is the system that goes behind communicating with people? What is the system that goes behind setting expectations? What does that look like? How do you, especially when it comes to, like, such a huge project where it has so many variables, is, like, what, what do you do? Like, do you, do you guys have monthly newsletter? Do you have monthly investor calls? What does that system look like? Because I think a lot of the times, especially when it comes to taking people's money, the issues that I've seen always come up when people don't hear from you, because then human nature, at least in my experience, is if I don't hear from you, I don't think I don't think the best. I immediately yeah. go into like, uh oh, -uh, like yeah, absolutely. These people are running away with my money, right? So just like, yeah, yeah. okay, like what does that background look like, and like how do you guys keep people feeling feeling good about the fact that they invested so much money into into project? Is obviously great because they wouldn't invest it in the first place but like how do you keep that? yeah i mean most uh, actually i'm not gonna say most all almost all uh, like the, these are not local like yeah they're they're giving their money and they're not visiting the site right when you when you first take someone's money i think it should be a weekly thing there's something that i stole from brian chesky which he sends out a friday email every day or every week um i love that idea 
Um, video is huge. Like all of our investor updates, like we, we send an email, but so like some of the, some of the investors are direct. I'm, I'm teamed up with a fund. So I have some sort of, I have a responsibility to give them updates and shooting a video, a, a video update is way more powerful. Just sending an email metrics or whatever. You can do that too with the video. Um, but like, like walking the property, whether it be me or someone on the team, um, just be like, Hey, like, this is what we're working on when it comes to this development stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's weekly, it's weekly touches after we take their money because of, uh, it's like the one, the deal hasn't closed yet. Like it's closing in three weeks here, but another side to that is like, there's a lot of development after that. So if it was a stabilized asset, like a class, a multifamily, whatever that the touches will probably be a little bit less frequent. Um, but also the other side to that is I will say, and I, I hate to, I hate to say, but it just comes from mentors. I've never done a 506 B before for non-accredited and sophisticated investors, but the accredited investor piece, I mean, you're dealing with a higher level, like you said, like a higher level of investor there. Um, so th there's a certain expectation that's usually a monthly update. And if you can sort of exceed those expectations with like weekly updates and weekly touches, that helps a lot. But I would say from the, from when you take their money, it has to be like weekly, at least for the first couple of months, what, no matter where you are in the project, um, mm -hmm. you can't just. Yeah. For months yeah. Of the way. And I love that. It, and I think like I, that's, we, that's... we live in this world of like automations um, and it's like virtual assistants and blah, blah, blah. This is a, a bit like putting a face to the name. I mean, if you're if you're putting like five hundred thousand dollars into the deal, I'm flying out to meet you. Um, so mm -hmm. it, it, it's stuff like that. Like we live in a world of automations, emails virtual assistants doing a lot of our work for us. But th this is like old, old school of like getting face to face yeah. originally through a Zoom. And then, I mean, like my 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 mentor, Paul, um, I mean, whatever city he's visiting, he usually has investors in that he's like asking them to take them out to lunch and stuff. It's a very old school way of, of getting to it. When you get to a certain level, too, I've seen like um, larger, larger funds like do like in like the same way uh, how you guys ran the short term rental like uh, conference this year that I was at in uh, Nashville. Same same thing, but they do it for their investors where they try to get all of them in there like every year. That's I think that's like once you get to like the two, three, four hundred investors where it gets a little bit more difficult doing these like in-person events, it would be like really important. I've seen it. I've seen it with the larger funds. So completely different business no. model. And I'm not going to say that I know everything. I've just leaned on some very smart people in the multifamily and other commercial real estate asset classes to help me get to what I know now. Love that, dude. Love that. Well, this was fun. I could literally go another two hours, but I try and keep them around 45 minutes here. But before getting the last question, I just wanted to say thank you, first off, for coming on, sharing all this knowledge with us. And um, yeah, really cool projects. Really excited to see how these turn out. And um, where can folks learn more about you, the project, get in touch, all that good stuff? Yeah, Bigger Pockets or LinkedIn. Just you guys can look me up, Alex Jarbo. I manage all my social media stuff on LinkedIn. And then uh, if you guys are interested in the deal, it's and I'm sure we'll put in the show notes somewhere. Um, it's openatlas.investments is going to take you directly to the investor portal. So or the the investor website with all the different videos and all the different stuff that we shop for the property. So that's openatlas.investments with an S. Awesome, man. Well, the last question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your number one secret to success with short term rentals? It's just, it's staying, it's short-term rentals and life in general. It's just like staying humble and understanding that you're, one, you're not going to know everything, but also just being an eternal learner just for business and life. I mean, just, it's just staying and I'm, I'm constantly reading books. I'm constantly looking at stuff to make myself, my business and myself better. Um, it's just being an eternal learner. 
Um, and stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit or stepping out of your own business is also very important too. So like, I love going to like general business conferences outside of just short-term rentals or say like BP con with, with uh, uh, bigger pockets. Like step outside of your business because you're going to learn some stuff like systems that like are applied, say in a manufacturing business that you can apply in your business. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Well, this was, this was a pleasure, Alex. It was great to, uh, to finally connect with you on here and for all the listeners, hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, we'll have all the links down in the show notes. Go check out Alex, go check out the projects and we will talk to you guys soon. Take Bye, care. Everyone. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.